2: Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Today's lineup is Carter Worth, Brian Kelly, Mark Tepper, and Steve Grasso. We start with breaking news of this epic market comeback, a nearly 900-point swing. It was a grim start to the day after yesterday's historic rally. The Dow selling off at the open with losses accelerating throughout the day, down more than 600 points at the lows of the session. But in the final hour of trading, the buyers stepped in, quickly wiped out those losses, and then some. The Dow ending the day up more than 200. So are the buyers back in between yesterday's big rally and today's big comeback? Is it safe to get back into this market, Steve?
3: So when you say safe, I'm done picking this market out for two to three week increments. I want to pick it out in two to three days, two to three hours. So it is safe to buy the market into year end. Is that okay? All right. We'll start there. So (laughs) I think you have pension fund rebalance. That's huge for the marketplace. I think you're going to see that in the next couple of days. But I do think you could have a sell, given maybe the first two weeks of
4: January.
2: So be careful. So you're making it. a call for the next three two days. Well, that's really I, I, I,
3: like I, how about this? We how us? I then think, down then? And I, th- then th- I think you could true. have it. Well, well, I think you could have this market rally in the next three days, ten percent. 10%. So is that is that a fair call? I mean, so here's the thing. That's so gonna so if we're going to stop, you know, Carter, gonna if go go we're going to stop, it's gonna go down. great. So you know what? Then let's buy and hold from 09. Let's never talk oh, about levels. Let's not talk about it at all. So I think we're going I, – I called this from a sell uh, okay. from 2940 down to the, the lows we had right. this week. Now I'm saying All right, you could buy So buy so
2: into urine, end which is two trading days. But I think the, the question embedded it, in my question is, it, is, it is, is, it, is that, what did we see a bottom? I don't think is it's this safe. bottoming out?
5: Not There's nothing safe about okay. this kind of extraordinary volatility. This is not what makes uh, a, a sort of a median, average, smart, less smart market participant want to run in. Let me get some of that. i got to get in there. This is going up and down to the point where, typically, it makes people back away from the asset class and not embrace it.
6: I don't know. It's. I mean, listen, this game is about risk-reward, and I know exactly where my risk is. I know that yesterday's low is my stop-out point. We've had some tremendous price action here. Today, the fact that it it snapped back after what was really bad news. So bad news, good price action. We have pension rebalancing. We've got a lot of things here that, I don't know, I mean, safe is a pretty strong word, Right. but I'll tell you what, this is is an excellent risk-reward place to get it. To your
2: point of yesterday's lows, so that's, what, 2342? Something like that. Inch, yeah. Right. And then we have the seasonal effect, not just pension rebouncing, but also, I mean, Santa Claus. Yeah. Maybe this is maybe this is Santa Claus showing up finally. And
7: look, I think it is a great opportunity to buy in right now, especially if you're a long-term investor. I mean, there's just so many great stocks out there that are on sale. They're down 20 30% from their highs. Um, I don't know that we're definitely at a bottom right now, but when you look at the risk-reward trade-off, I like it at this point. Right
2: My now. problem was saying that stocks, some stocks are on sale. They're 20%, 30% off of highs. We could have said that a while right. ago for, for a number right. of stocks that's right. well, okay, But, well, that's, why, more right. but that's why
6: today's price action was really important, okay. because you can t- say now we have evidence that the character of the market has changed. When bad news right. comes out, the market goes up. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is one step. We never you have full information in investing, but again, we have this 20%. new info.
3: We stopped 20%, basically, from the highs to the lows, because that's what everyone sets their algorithms to. So they wanted that tw- 20% from the recent historic highs okay. down to that 2350 level in the S&P. That's what we stopped on a dime. What we are closer to a bottom uh-huh. than we are to the top
2: right What now. has so, changed, when you're talking about the S&P, though. what
5: about the Russell down 27%, the Russell 2000? It's fa- all fair. Jones I mean, all fair. Just because it's the S&P, there's nothing magic about 20%. There's nothing magic about 15 or 10 it's only magical because people program
3: their algorithms, and it Some is do. a very electronic-driven market. But I guess the point to take away from this, when you're watching this at home, is that I think we're close, maybe 5% so, from the ultimate here's bottom of stock. stock's rally. Here's, Here are the
5: stats. So, 1927 to present, if you look at the last calendar week of the year, mm-hmm. the average gain is actually 4.8%. I mean, it's a big week. Now... We're not having a big week yet. Maybe we recovered from a very bad start to week, but it would have to do something special in the next two days even to be somewhere in line with what should be a very good period.
7: For the, the fact that we started off down so significantly today and continued to move downward and then suddenly saw then that great right. reversal, to me, means that possibly this could be the, the beginning of change in investor sentiment.
6: Listen. Well, so you asked what changed, though. There has yeah. been a bit of a change. Number what one, change? we were concerned about Powell losing his job. Okay. It appears at this point in time okay. he's got a Hassett, job for 90 Hassett
2: days. says 100%. Yeah,
6: I mean, so well, certainly. for 90 days, right? We've heard that before. Okay. But for 90 days, the Fed has walked back some of their hawkish tone. They clearly had a communication problem day, day after they're on with Steve Leisman, talking about how actually they do care about the stock market. You get that out of the way. Now you get maybe some movement on tariffs, number one, and then we're probably getting closer to the end of the government shutdown rather than the beginning. So you take all those market worries away, and that is a change sentiment in the market. Mm.
3: I, I, but the problem is, I don't think any of them are away because even if Powell right. stops raising, you still got the delevering of right. the balance sheet, w- so you still have that as a tightening that's effect. That's like what three and hikes so it's equivalent, equivalent next wrong.
5: year. What's wrong with a reset? of this magnitude? Nothing. It's quite normative. In fact, we'll look at this later on, how many 20% declines there have been. And then there's this. Let's say we never go one day lower. How long does it take to recover to get back to the highs? A darn long time. Once you have damage done, you don't get out of it easily.
3: Well, I I I would think just one last thing in my mind, how the calculus has changed. So BK mentioned the Fed. So at 2940 in the S&P, we had the Fed not, now that we have the Fed tightening, whether he's tightening or not tightening, it's still the delevering is tightening. You have still global growth is shrinking and you have divided government. So there's not going to be unbridled pro-growth, deregulatory environment anymore. You don't get back to 2940.
2: We've also got earnings season right around the corner at this point with full year outlooks, which may not necessarily be. I mean, we may think that those things have changed, but have they changed enough for companies to actually say 2019 looks good?
6: No, I, but they I don't have it. to say I that. I doubt it. They don't have really? to say it. It's just the bar so low at this point in time. Yeah. 20% off the highs, the bar is very low for these companies. I mean, unless you think there's a full-on recession coming, which I don't see at this point in time, I can make a case, case for it, are so so no indicators saying that there's a full-on recession, a recession coming. What do FedEx share say
5: about a recession? They, is,
6: s- they say they might be coming. It's a warning sign, but that's priced into the stock market. We've gone down fa- thousands of points. It's not if. We're going to have a recession. The problem right. is trying to time the market right. off of it. I think
3: consumer confidence is basically telling us that they don't believe okay. that low unemployment is going to stay there.
2: We're closer to the bottom than we're not. Right. So what's on your buy list? So I would buy the
3: things that probably got hit the hardest. So those are going to be the, the high, uh, large cap tech stocks because okay. that's where growth is. Such if as? you If you have. So I would get back in. I would get back in and buy the Netflix. I would get back in and buy Amazons. I wouldn't buy Facebook. That's a privacy issue. Google I like, but still there's a privacy issue there as well. Mm-hmm. Apple, I'm on the fence. I still own it, but I still think that the best days for Apple are probably over.
7: What's on your buy
2: list, or what would you buy
7: right now? I agree with Steve. I like all the fangs, um, but I also think you need to begin looking at those companies that do well when the economy begins to decelerate. So think companies like Waste Management, right, because there's always going to be garbage. Think companies like Dollar General, because you're going to see increased store traffic as, as the economy continues to slow. So those are the kind of companies we're looking at right now.
6: Well, we're going to talk a little bit about banks later, I think. So right now, I'll talk about more U.S.-centric companies, right? So let's take a look at the Russell if you want to just have a You'd be a buyer of small caps here. I'd be a buyer of small caps here. And the reason why is if you look around the world, everything else is slowing. That's undeniable. The U.S. is still growing. It might be slowing growth, but you want to be focused on what is actually going to work. You buy the Russell. Mm
5: -hmm. Right. The real risk is that there's more money that comes out of these super cap names that are still widely owned and that the Russell, having been down as much as it is, now almost 30 percent that actually it is a catch-up trade here relative to the super cap names that are still beloved and in many ways people have not abandoned the way they typically do when things are really at, at, sort of getting. So
7: the, the issue we have with small caps is is the debt levels are just way too high. And we feel like at this stage of the game, late cycle, we're trying to focus on those companies that have lower debt levels, right? So the Russell, unfortunately, just doesn't fit the parameters we're looking for.
2: I mean, yeah. Mark Yusko trots out this chart from Bianco Research, saying a third of the companies in the small cap index are, are zombie companies. They don't have enough 3 or EBIT to cover their debt payments. Yeah,
6: I'm not I'm not going to be in yeah, the small caps for three years, though. <laughs> right. right. I mean, the, from right now. I, I, you know, listen, I'm in the moving business here. I move stocks. Say not move them out. I'm not in the storage business. I'm saying as a rebound, you get lower rates. That's going to help those debt levels. You get any type of rebound in the economy. That's going to help the debt levels. But bottom line is something that's down 30%, that's right. it's a I think you rip it higher. I mean, yeah. You guys, yeah.
5: three of you are bullish, right? If you yeah. believe market's yep. going higher, you want to play the smaller cap names here right. for rebound.
6: Even the bear
2: like the if smaller ha- cap I mean, names. Sure,
5: because <laughs> it, for my case, it's a spread over the large, which is so extreme now. Right.
2: Despite today's reversal, our own chart master here, Carter, says the worst is yet to come for the markets. So we sort of kind of gleaned that from his commentary. Why don't you make your way sure, to the look.
5: I mean, look, it, 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 are we just going to skip away with a 20% sell-off? It sounds like it's a lot, but is it? Let's, let's talk about the facts. So we'll remove my opinion, and everybody else's, and just look at the numbers. How many 20% plus sell-offs have there been? Where it actually draws down, as was this time, more than 20% from the absolute peak to uh, the low point. There have been 32 since 1927. Let's move forward and talk about those 32. So, The mean decline is 31 percent. The median decline is 28. Does it mean we have to match those? Some have been 20 or 21, 22 and have stopped. But again, if you were to take all of them, it would imply that if we were to be in long, that there's more. Let's talk about the duration. Now, of those 32, 20 percent plus sell-offs. The mean duration is 4.6 months, the median is three. This one's three months, three and a half, right? So we're only three and a half, perhaps maybe a a month and a half. I think January could be very, very bad, which would set us up for this 4.6. Okay. Now, forget about the downside. Let's say the guys are right, it never goes lower. How long does it take to recover? That's really the issue. So of those 32, 20 percent, Plus sell offs. The mean time to recoup the losses, right here, big bold, is four years and seven months. The median time is two years. Some recover in seven or eight months, some recover in 12 or 14, but very rarely do you just dust it off. The point is, damage has been done. And interestingly, it happened from an instance where everyone was bullish at the exact wrong time in October for a breakout.
2: Carter, why don't you come back over to the desk? Because it would be very awkward to have a <coughs> chair at the end here. Um, so, the bottom line here is as much as people might want to believe that these past two days mark some sort of a bottom or recovery, it will take years. If, even if it were true, it will take years.
5: I mean, I would say it's at least back. a year. Right uh-huh. now, again, the median and mean. Mean helps to adjust for skew of big periods where it's down for four or five years. Right. But the point is, think about anything. If you, if you have a little trouble, you get out of it. If you, if you get hurt, if you, if you blow out your knee, you don't recover quickly. You actually do a lot of rehab, or maybe you get a knee replacement. The point is, damage has been done. The hole's in the boat. You've got to bail. You've got to. Patch I agree a hole. with the damage you don't has been not done. Get back, and there's still people think. Oh well, we'll have a January rally. I, total, I totally, agree with your damage has been done. But I, but I think
3: what the problem is, we've all been in this business for so long that when we start to look at how quick these markets change, today, the last couple of days, this year, things are fast-forwarded. So that four years where you're looking at that could be four months, could be four weeks. They, th- they change differently. Uh, the pace is totally different. I
2: now. mean, this is computerized trading. This, this is the algos kicking Crazy. in, exacerbating the moves on the they up and the down. They all go on the same but
5: levels, and they all on the set same, to the same think levels. About the first week in October, rates peaked at 330. S&P peaked at 2940, mm-hmm. and crude peaked. And they've literally all collapsed simultaneously. Is that a bullish thing, or is that something to be worried about?
3: I don't, I, don't dis- I don't disagree. I think eventually we're probably going to erase the whole, t- ironically enough, it'll be the erasing of the whole Trump rally. Because I think that's where we're headed, and that's somewhere around 2075 in the S&P. So ultimately, if things go on this same path, you would have to erase, if, if that is not in- instilled in the market any longer, if all those bullish things are not there, uh-huh. they have to be
2: erased. Or could this be 2011? I mean, in terms terms of the 20% drawdowns, right? right. I mean, I don't know if that made the cut because it was like 19% or something like that from the end of April to the beginning of October in 2011, where we saw a 19-20% drawdown. We saw what looked like bottoming action. And then we saw basically the start... Yeah, of, of and, and uh, we, we were saying now. you
6: know 15, 16. Market looked very much like that. I made the comment last night that this market reminded me of how the market traded in 2008. That's not to say we're having a crisis, but you had these massive bear market rallies, and they ripped your face off if you were short, and you could make a lot of money on them if you were long. So that's really what I'm looking at here. I don't know if we get to new highs. You know, the Fed wants to start cutting rates. The dollar wants to tank. Yeah, then we'll rip to new highs. But until that happens, I think you have a great opportunity here to catch a bear
7: market rally. So corporate insider buying has actually doubled over the course of the last two months. And the last time you saw that happen, was August of 2011? Market was down 19%. Since that time, it's up 100%. Now I'm not going to sit here and, and claim that we have 100% upside from here, uh, but I do believe that the corporate insiders now believe that there's enough value in their stocks that they are getting back in and getting back in quickly.
2: If we're a believer that corporate corporation uh, corporate insiders are there's good not, buyers well of their stock
5: a, there isn't a lot of data that suggests <laughs> that they are right i mean we know that buybacks nobody buys back right. at the low they buy back a record amount at the high i mean long-term studies about corporate insider buying are very well the spurious. truth is
3: well when you look at it though when you pull back the camera there's there's a lot of reasons why insiders would sell right there's only one reason why they buy Right. So there could be some stuff mm-hmm. going on. It, there could be divorces. So like that, that retirement. That's out of data point. That point fits in your point. both thesis.
2: All right. So much to talk about tonight. We've got a jam-packed hour. And we will be sticking around, by the way, for an extra hour for Markets in Turmoil special, where we will continue our coverage of this wild market. Plus, it was a crazy day for Wall Street, but it's also been a crazy week, a crazy month. So how much are the rise of the machines contributing to these volatile swings? We will explain. And later, while the market reversed, retail stocks tried to join the party but still ended the day in the red. This is consumer confidence dropped despite holiday sales soaring. And the stocks, they're stuck in the mud. We'll tell you how to trade, how to trade the conflicted consumer. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
0: What does it mean to be rich?
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. If you thought nearly $1 trillion in holiday spending meant that everything was rosy on Main Street but well, the science is still out after skyrocketing in yesterday's record rally the XRT retail ETF tried to turn around with the rest of the market but still ended the day in the red. Consumers spent $850 billion this holiday season but that blockbuster number and the lowest unemployment in about half a century didn't exactly jive with today's consumer confidence number which came in at 121.1 about five index points below economists' expectations. So how strong is the consumer? How do you trade the conflicted consumer, Mark Tepper, and I think it was interesting because the forward-looking part of the Consumer Confidence Index, looking at jobs and the belief in jobs in the future, that was also, that was actually was very negative. Yeah. Consumers were not optimistic about that.
7: So I still think the consumer's very strong. I think the consumer has a ton of spending power right now. Um, yes, I mean, we've pulled back a little bit from where we were in July, but at the same point in time, I think the consumer is still in a great place right now, as, as can be seen from uh, holiday retail sales. Now, it can't feel good to look at your november thirtieth statement and see, see that there's maybe a million bucks in there, and now you're down $100,000 today. So I don't think that feels good for any consumer that's sitting there with an investment portfolio knowing that they're down 10% from where they were less than 30 days ago. So I think that might be dragging... Or how about consumers that, that, that don't have the money that's in the market, and they just feel as if
3: anecdotally their friend just got laid off, or their their, uh, their wife is not, no longer working. So those are the issues for the average person across this country, there's usually an insight to consumer confidence that leads actually to the unemployment, which I didn't, I, you don't even recognize that because they sort of work in tandem. But
6: if you see that, Maybe they're telling us that the recession is on the horizon, maybe closer well, than we but, think. So consumer confidence, though, is a coincident indicator with the stock market. If you lay it over the stock market, it almost looks like it's correlated, highly correlated. And part of that is, is that people tend to spend about 5% of their wealth, or the, the so-called wealth effect. So it would be natural for it to come down. But let's look what the consumer is dealing with now. They've got lower gas prices. They've got lower interest rates. If they still have a job, that's not so bad. Big tax break, right? Big the, tax break. Tax receipts, right. returns are Rising going to be wages. up. I mean, twenty percent from last so year. question. they spent what? Eight hundred and forty-nine billion on on the things. You spent about a billion. It does not on make them a trade. <laughs> does, does not
2: make retail a trade necessarily. Right. Though. I mean,
5: the question is, why are the stocks acting so? Bad? Right. I mean, yep. at the end of the day, all that is you know For Dan what? Nathan uses a great phrase. That's just a word salad. All that <laughs> stuff is just tossed up in a bowl. The reality is, the stocks are plunging. The equal weight consumer discretionary sector is down almost 11%. Yes, it looks as though consumer discretion's held up well. I mean, it's not held up well. There was a few names that were holding it up well, and even those have gotten hurt. And all of this, when it's all the things you just said, record low unemployment, all of these things. Well, consumer stocks, they they do
3: lead. They lead on the way down. They lead on the way up. So the good tell is when you start to see these names sort of turn and have that real real point of, um, it doesn't have to be a hockey stick. But when you start to see them recover, they're the ones that get you
7: out first.
2: Which ones do you want to be in then, Mark?
7: Uh, so we like Dollar General, TJ Maxx, okay, right? Yeah. the discount retailers. I mean, I think those are just a great place to be right now, especially at this stage of the, the economic cycle.
3: Yeah. Can you imagine a worse setup than the home builders? And then you've got to filter that out to Home Depot. So I think Home Depot down 10% year to date. I think you're going to start to see these home builders sort of bottom Blue in the face, waiting for these home builders to bottom, but eventually they will. They got beaten up so badly, worse than the overall market. You want a counter trend when these things start to turn. Then you're going to see a home. And in a
5: way, they swap. have on a relative basis. Even though they made new lows incrementally in the past eight to ten sessions, they did not make relative lows to the S and P because they plunge first, same as semis, right? Sometimes the things that go first start to bottom and base mm-hmm. early. And on a relative basis, they
2: have. But would you rather home builders or retailers? Which would you choose?
5: Uh, I think home builders because I think rents. Oh.
6: Same question to you. Yeah, I think probably. I think the home builders, but in the retail sector, if you look at it, beyond just the kind of consumer confidence, it's a sector that's being disrupted and massively disrupted by Amazon and that model. And so, what do you want to buy in those situations? You buy the disruptor. So, if you want to stay completely retail focused, then I think Amazon's probably the place to look.
2: Still Amazon. All right. For more on the conflicted consumer and why one technician sees a big retail rally ahead, head over to tradeinternation.cnbc.com for more on that bold call. And still ahead. This market has gone wild, and it could be thanks to the rise of the machines. We'll tell you what it means for your money. Plus, a banks on track for their worst month since February 2009. But one of our traders says now could be the time to buy the beaten-up group. We will explain why. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a wild week on Wall Street. Stocks getting slammed on Monday for the worst Christmas Eve ever for the markets. Then yesterday, the Dow saw its biggest point gain in history. And today, a nearly 900 point reversal, the big biggest comeback in a decade. So what is behind these massive swings? Well, Could it be the classic case of man versus machine? Check out this article from the Wall Street Journal titled Behind the Market Swoon, the Herd-like Behavior of Computerized Trading. The article pinpointing the violent moves to the rise in electronic trading. So is this really the driving force behind these huge point moves? Let's bring in Bob Pisani for more on this. Bob, we hear it all the time. It's the algos. It's the computers.
4: Yeah, I'm sorry, Melissa. I I know, folks, it sure looks scary. The Dow moves... 800 points in an afternoon, how could that even happen? There's a lot of players in the markets, folks. One of the larger players are quant funds that have many different strategies, but they all have some blend of stocks and bonds and commodities. And all of them, all of them have levels at which they will buy and sell assets. So, for example, we saw clear signs in the last couple months that many traders would sell when the S&P dropped below its 200-day moving average. Now, in the old days, when that happened, the trader would call on the floor 20 years ago and sell, and it would take a while to get that sell order through. Not anymore. Today, thanks to algorithms, you can electronically insert an order into the market the second that level is hit, the second. Now, if a lot of people have a strategy to sell at that level, you get these big moves. I know it's disconcerting. It is to me, too. But don't kid yourself. It's happening because a lot of people want to sell. But are these quant funds the cause of volatility? That's very doubtful. You don't know, remember the markets had very low volatility for years? We complained about the low volatility. The VIX was below 12 for most of the last Five years. If machines profit from high volatility, why didn't they cause more volatility? The answer is, they can't. Volatility spiked notably in the beginning of October for some very obvious reasons. On concerns that the Fed was going to be too aggressive hiking rates, number one. On data showing China was slowing. And on tariff worries. None of these issues have been resolved, so the volatility continues. The markets have a lot to figure out. We have no idea what 2019 earnings are going to look like. And, of course, on top of that, we have political risk in the White House as well. That, too, is also a big problem. Back to you, Melissa. So,
2: Bob, I'm sorry for for being so obtuse about this, but are you saying that machines, uh, aren't are, they didn't cause the volatility because otherwise, if they were in the markets, they would have created more volatility?
4: Yeah, we remember this debate that we had over uh, high-frequency trading in 2010 and 2011? We kept saying, these people who are coming into the market providing so-called market-making activities are causing volatility. Well, it turned out, like, for several years, there was no volatility. These, these high-frequency traders, they almost went out of business. They could not cause volatility. Now, listen, there is no doubt that if volatility goes up, they definitely make more money. They provide more opportunities to provide bids and offers and do market-making activity. I have no doubt profitability goes up for these, for these high-frequency traders and even potentially uh, for some of these quant funds. But as for causing the volatility itself, mm-hmm. no, I'm afraid I'm not with you on that.
2: All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Pisani, on at okay. the New York Stock Exchange. I think, I think I agree with Bob in terms of causing the volatility, but there's another part of this, and that is exacerbating Volatility. you're,
6: you're, yeah, you're like, not really. Oh, really? No, I mean it's just people making all the, the the same decision at the same time, whether they do it with a computer or whether they do it over a phone. I mean, we've heard this argument a thousand times. When I was coming up in the '90s, there were these things called the S.O.S. Bandits. They would go and hit market makers, and that was the problem with the market. Remember, in 1987, portfolio insurance, computers caused that. That was the problem with the market. Yeah, but the truth is, this is, is just though, natural BK, parts is. of markets. Yes. If you want to blame anybody, blame the Fed. They're the ones who sucked volatility out of the market It is natural. And are injecting it back in. But just in. think
3: about the footprint on Wall Street. Think about how you used to have the ability to work 50 orders or 20 orders or 10 orders. And you used to be able to work them where Bob said you would call a broker and you would have a conversation. I want to buy 100,000 shares of XYZ. You don't have the ability to do that anymore. What happens is you have 100 orders and you have five minutes to execute them in. So, you get an algorithm that could spit out and do all of it. So, you have an algorithm that is trading millions of shares billions of dollars on an everyday basis and it's doing it more effectively but not with a human element okay so they're running it up and running it down
2: but i would i would posit that maybe this makes the markets much more efficient that it's really this is really efficiency at its height to have these market swings happen in a very compressed period of time that otherwise would have happened over a longer period let's
5: take for the individual investor i mean to have to call up your stockbroker and then have him come to the line and then let's sell some of this and sell some of that whereas it's all i mean think about 2000, maybe 12% of all money was in ETFs or passive sort of index base. Now it's up to 50% or more. It's, it's It's a better thing. You can say, I just want to get into gold, and now I want to get out of my financials, XLF, into biotech. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing.
2: So for the retail investor, because oftentimes you hear about the rise of the machines, and the retail investor is at a disadvantage. Is that the case or
7: not the case? I I don't think so. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think what's really going on right now is, you know, we're we're at the stage of this stock market cycle where volatility is going to increase. I mean, it's just a given. Um, it is not unnatural. I mean, this is the longest bull market in the history of the United States. It's almost 10 years in the making. It's not unnatural at this point for investors to feel a bit of discomfort when it comes to experiencing or, or hearing about potentially uh, slowing economic growth next year or uh, a deceleration in earnings growth. So um, I don't think the retail investor is at a disadvantage. it mean, actually gives the
3: retail investor more entry points, more exit points on a, on a more frequent basis. Basis, and that's why knowing the technical levels are more important than ever, because when we sell down to 2350 in the S&P mm-hmm. ev- and stop on a dime, almost to the decimal, everyone's algos were sent
2: set to the same number in the S&P. Right. The extrapolation, though, of this is is the four year figure, the two year figure, right. all those figures that you're putting up there in terms of the recovery from market sell offs that also gets compressed is, is that why you said a I, I year don't know there's
5: no way to to know that but what we do know is that the less friction there is and just what you said in a way the more efficient costs are down you can trade stocks for free you can get baskets and all of that is is a positive thing. but it also just like anything it can at certain moments exacerbate something sure. that's already exacerbated
7: and, and haven't yes. most retail investors outperformed hedge funds over the last 10 years anyways i mean <laughs> Right. Well, well, think, well, well, think about think yes, about but what that's,
5: that's can't most people who are long only versus people who are long short in a bull market. You think, would, think about what you just sorry. said
3: before the passive investing. When you go into a passive investment, it has to spit out and buy or sell every one of those underlying issues within Talks that down. ETF, within that exchange-traded fund. So it creates these massive moves when someone is just liquidating a passive portfolio. All
2: right. Well, We'll much more on these crazy market swings, and we will get Jim Cramer's take on today's big reversal. That is later. Plus, financials have been taken to the woodshed this year, but one of the traders says it could be time to buy this beaten-down group. He'll tell us what has him so bullish when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Financials, like the rest of the market, making a big comeback and ending the day slightly higher. But the sector is still on track for its worst month since February 2009. And the chart master says there's even more pain ahead. Carter, what are you looking
5: at? Well, let's look at a bunch of things. But uh, here's all data. Now, again, GICS data only goes back to 1989 and the current sector nomenclature that we have. Um, but what optically is very clear, there's your financial crisis low in 09 this is the XLF or the actual S&P sector and here is the high but the interesting thing is look where it stopped it is literally a perfect that's the 2007 just before the entire collapse of the US banking system and all got bailed out and what we have by all accounts is a perfect double top so let's zero in on the recent sell-off we know financials are down hard now what I'm thinking and, and Grasso was referring to this to the market overall I'm thinking at a minimum that we undo the entire election move so that line uh, would imply, if we were to get to it, another, let's say, 9 to 10%, just to get down to uh, the line. Now, let's look at the next chart and draw the actual trend line. So this has worked from the financial crisis low, the U.S. debt downgrade in 2011, 2015, 16. And here we are again. Were we to get down to that, which again is this top, let's put it all together on the next chart. Here they are. I think that's what's coming. I think we're going to both find support there and the trend line. And that's the point at which one might want to get involved in financials in a big way or even as an overweight. But then there's this, and this is the sort of thing that's inescapable. Here's our double top again, right, where we peaked in seven, 2007. But look at the relative performance. Yes, financials off the financial crisis low, huge advance. But what did they do, really? They did this. It's a place where money goes to die, and that's because of all the dilution, right? The issuing of shares to try to get themselves out of the big rut they were in, bankruptcy, and basically one has not been paid, even as they've advanced, relative to what one could have done with other choices in the market. I don't think financials basically, other than a trade, are are worth uh,
6: being overweight.
2: BK here though disagrees. I do. Yeah. You say it's what time to buy? I think
6: it's. uh, Yeah. I mean, look at look at what happened. So when I'm looking at the markets, I'm always looking for bad news, good price action. And so let's look what happened over the last week. We had Minuchin make that ridiculous call to the to every single bank, asking, "Are you liquid?" The chances that we have a problem in the U.S. banking sector are so slim. The fire trucks have been pointed right at these banks since 2009. There's no chance there's going to be another fire, in my view. Here. Secondly, now the sell-off has taken us to below book value, which is something that's relatively unusual. And even if you think that banks' utility is to trade at book value, they're trading well well below book value. And unless you think there is a recession coming in the next three months, that book value should actually be all right. And then the last thing is the yield curve. We talked about it flattening the entire for this almost this entire year. What has it done over the last couple of days? It started to tick higher. And when you start to see the yield curve re-steepen, that could be a catalyst for the banks. So, so for me, it's a good risk-reward here.
3: So BK, so when I look at the chart that, that Carter showed up there, I, I've made this point about that double top. Now the run-up during the financial crisis was because of the leverage that banks were allowed to take. They're not allowed to take that anymore. Mm-hmm. So they're not gonna be they're not gonna have that growth element anymore.
2: So the best days are behind them.
3: Best days are behind them. The run up out of the election was about deregulation. So I'm finding a lack of, I, I hear you on all the other issues, but the growth is out of them. The leverage that, that have should, have, that. should have, have never, should have ever been there is not coming back. But that was the only reason why you should buy banks. And now deregulation with a divided government, you're not getting any more of that. But so, you're not
6: getting any less either, right? You're not, so it's a status quo. It's already, it's already, it's already and all these things thin. you could have said, you could have said the whole way up and I would agree with you. And that to me is why banks should probably trade at one time's book. They should look like utility, at least in their current state. Now that they're trading below book, to me, it makes sense to buy them. And then secondarily, you're not going to get much of a change in this environment. And with a flat yield curve, what do banks do? They lend more.
7: They they are dirt cheap. I mean, Goldman Sachs, as an example, it's trading at a peg ratio of 0.55 and That's not the
2: kind of bank you like, though.
7: No, I don't. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) proceed. Proceed. (laughs) So, you know, the the banks that we like are going to be those banks that have exposure to the capital markets, right? Mm. Uh, we want to make sure that, given heightened volatility, that they have an opportunity to actually benefit from trading revenues. Um, so Goldman Sachs right now to us looks like a no-brainer. I mean, 0.78 times book value. We're talking 0.55 peg ratio. Rep
5: with,
3: with yeah. the Dems running it. You think they're well, going so to be pushing trading revenue for the big banks? I, Cap- I don't. I don't think markets, they're going to push that's, it.
5: This capital markets are. Very bad. The comps are going to be hard. And you know, this. all the MIFIT stuff. I mean, that's certainly equities. That's
6: not a, a growth area. That's a shrinking area.
2: Why do you hate Mark's trade?
6: I don't know if I hate I mean, I like it on a, on a valuation basis, right? It's one of the ones that are cheaper on price-to-book. Problem that I have with Goldman Sachs is they're not necessarily that markets player anymore. There's a transition going on. It's kind of a, a I hate to say turnaround story, but it's unclear to me what they're going to look like. So why not just go with a pure play on the banks, like Bank of America, one of the cheapest on a price-to-book ratio. Just go with one of those, somebody that does the lending, that uh, you know is out there expanding their book, to me, that's that's a good play.
5: I mean, I guess it gets down to this, uh, We, I mean, I have a lot of clients say the balance sheets are the best they've been in years. The leverage is low, and so there's not as much risk in them. But if and as equities in general have topped and we're looking at more downside, the odds that banks or financials will outperform, the odds are low.
2: Coming up, energy sectors on track for the worst quarter in a decade as oil has gotten cut in half in the last few months. We'll tell you if anyone on this desk is buying this crude crush. Plus, as we enter the final trading days of a crazy year for the market, Steve Grasso here will lay out the biggest themes investors are watching right now. Find out what is on his radar when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a market flash on Afria. The stock is soaring after hours. Let's get to Aditi Roy in San Francisco for the details. Hey, Aditi.
0: Hi, Melissa. Afria shares are up almost 22% after Green Growth launched a takeover bid for the Canadian cannabis company. Under the deal, Afria shareholders will get 1.57 shares of Green Growth brands for each Afria share, representing a 45.5% premium over Afria's closing price on the TSX on December 24th. The CEO of Green Growth is Peter Horvath, a former Victoria's Secret and American Eagle Outfitters executive. In the release, he says, we are confident that the significant premium we are offering and the opportunity to participate in the growth of a stronger combined company are so compelling that we are taking our offer directly to Afria's shareholders. Green Growth says it engaged Afria's board to attempt to negotiate an agreement before launching the takeover bid. Green Growth says combining the two companies would create a formidable player with operations in both the U.S. and Canada and will combine Afria's low-cost cultivation with Green Growth's retail footprint. And Analysts have predicted that we will see more M&A in the space as it matures and heads towards consolidation. We have reached out to AFRIA, but have not heard back. Back to you.
2: All right, Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy, we don't know what AFRIA will say, but uh, this obviously puts some sort of a floor under valuations in a space that has gotten really battered uh, from this sort of risk-off move that we've seen in the past couple months.
3: You know, when you, when you look at this, I've made the analogy that you, to Bitcoin. So when you have these alternative investments, you have that Bitcoin population at these small family offices or large family offices, and they went from Bitcoin and they went into cannabis now. But all these cannabis names are so bloated, to, to your point, they're bloated on valuation. No one knows how to value them, so maybe this will help. But they're still all struggling for that October 17th where it was the legalization date in Canada right. to re- reconnect with that level in the stocks you got to be long them all but you're going to take some pain
2: from cannabis to crude oil is still on track for its worst month since 2008 even after Wednesday's big rally but one trader one brave trader is betting that oil is ready for a big rally Mike co joins us from San Francisco with the options action hey Mike
1: Hi there. Yes, so ExxonMobil, the largest of uh, the big integrated oil companies, saw about two times the call versus put volume today. And that activity was largely the result of purchases of the January 69-73 one-by-two call spread. I saw 1,500 by 3,000 of those trading. Now they're buying the 69-strike call, selling two of the 73-strike calls against it. And my guess is that this is very likely what we call a stock recovery Tra- uh, strategy. So, oftentimes if you own a stock, you've seen a sharp decline in it, you're looking to boost your near-term returns, you can buy a 1 by 2 call spread that will give you gains from 69 up to that 73 strike that they sold. And, you know, that would re- represent about a 4 to an 8% increase over the course of the next couple of weeks in Exxon if this plays out. The nice thing is that they're not risking a great deal to the downside in the event that oil's weakness continues.
2: Do you think we need to see crude rally or, or continue its gains in order for these stocks to find some legs, Mike?
1: Yeah, I, I do, especially the integrated plays, because, yeah. of course, you know, what are the integrated oil companies? But, you know, they're reserves, and uh, Exxon would be the largest of those. You know, I've long favored North American oil service companies instead of these in terms of uh, the long term. And actually, amongst the integrated names, I might prefer Chevron to Exxon. But, uh, yes, I think absolutely if oil... See some kind of a bounce, these will follow. And if it sees continued weakness, they're yeah. in trouble.
2: And if we see some sort of a bounce, I mean, I would imagine if you really wanted to reach for the beta, you go for some of the shale names, right?
7: Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, we're the, the companies that we like right now, when we're talking energy, we would favor Occidental Petroleum. So uh, that would be our number one pick. It's got a dividend yield of a little over 5%. Um, and it's mo- a mo- much more diversified company. I think a lot of the concentrated companies have been in favor. Uh, but I do think with oil price volatility, I think some of these more diversified companies like are going to perform better.
5: That's one of my favorite. Do you like COP?
7: I do. Yeah. yeah. Another one good dividend payer. Okay. Yeah.
3: All right. So the, the problem is Conoco is okay. Conoco is up on the year, but Oxy is down 17%. So it's very difficult to buy it for a dividend because you lose it very quickly.
2: All right. Nice. Thanks out there, Mike Coe. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll have much more on the Dow's huge reversal today with CNBC's special markets in turmoil beginning at 6 p.m. Tune in to find out what CNBC's Jim Cramer has to say about this big move. Plus, these crazy swings have you wondering what to do next. We've got you covered. Send us your questions to at CNBC Fast Money. The traders will be taking tweets later on in the show. We're live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money on this very busy night. Welcome back to FAST. As we head into the final days of the year, what topics are front of mind for investors? Time for our trader radar. Hmm. So, Grasso, I want you you head over to the plasma, and break down the biggest themes right now in the markets.
3: Sure. This is always a real heavy conversational week, last week of the trading year. So everyone sort of wants to hold on to what they think their themes are or what they're going to be in the first quarter. Why don't we look at rebalancing, right? The, this is the major thing, pension funds. On Monday, Goldman Sachs had out a piece that the pension fund rebalance was going to be $110 billion, with a B, coming into the marketplace. Then, after the big rally, they said it was going to be, scratch that, $84 billion. After the turnaround today, it's probably going to be around 70. billion billion dollars coming into the marketplace. Those are big numbers. There is some flexibility. Pension funds do not have to do it by year end, but the majority, I would say 90% of them, are going to do it by year end. The market has to absorb that, equities must be bought. So let's go on to the next thing. Positioning, so we talked about it. Whether it's Carter said buy the IWM, the Russell, the small caps, or whether people are going to get back into those large cap tech stocks. So the news is, right, that what we've seen has been the XLK, the triple Qs, right, all of these tech names, they were the ones responsible for this movement in the marketplace. So if you don't have that anymore, if they're not bought, and it's the IWMs, that's not going to put the market to new highs. You're going to get more of this if large cap tech is not bought. Last thing, BK mentioned this at the top of the show, trade deal. U.S.-China, that is huge. We've forgotten about that because Powell has eclipsed it. If we get that trade deal, that is good easily for 10% in the market. We're just putting darts on a dartboard right now, but I don't think anyone would argue with a 10% move based on a trade deal getting completed with China in the first quarter.
2: You know, Grasso, the past, at least yesterday, it seemed like short covering was a a big catalyst for the huge gains that we saw yesterday. Some of the most shorted stocks in the markets had some of the biggest gains. You know, Abercrombie & Fitch, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, those are a couple of them. Um, So in terms of positioning, is it also the notion that shorts are out or they're soon going to be out of this market?
3: So I've been a professional trader since 1993. Every rally starts off with a huge short covering rally, so you expect those to move first. Yes, there's a problem if everyone has covered, but trust me, not everyone has covered. There's been such a a giant move to the downside. There's no possible way that everyone who has to cover has covered yet. But yes, great point. Shorts always start
6: that rally. You know, it's interesting, that comment on the shorts, because everybody hates the shorts out there, except when they save the market. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, shout out to the shorts out there. Thank you for being buyers. Right.
2: Thanks for the historic one-day game.
6: Exactly. (laughs) All right.
2: Thanks, Grosso. Up next, Jim Cramer is live on today's big reversal. Plus, the traders will tell you what their first move for tomorrow is. Much more fast right after this. Time for the final trade to go around the
5: horn. Carter? I like Disney here, offense and defense.
6: Brian Kelly. I'm in a bit of a contrarian mood today, so I'm going to pick uh, oil and buy XOP, the oil and gas exploration ETF. Mark Tepper.
7: Buying Facebook, it's been beaten up way too
6: badly.
3: Hmm. I'll pick up on that. Lenar, been beating up way too badly. I'm still long. You should get long. Lenar.
2: I didn't know where you are going to go with that, but I get it now. All right. That does it for us here on Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. But meantime, do not move. We've got another hour of jam-packed markets coverage, which starts right now.
5: Picture this. It's Saturday morning, and you're on your John Deere compact tractor.